0: So we try to live our lives now where it's like we whenever we have an opportunity, we try to help as much as we can because we know someday we're going to need some help. Uh, And that's uh, been a big experience for us.
1: There's something I've learned hosting this show and just, you know, living life in general. It's knowing that life can change in an instant uh, forever. And Ryan's story is just such an amazing example of that. Um, and, and when I say life can change forever, I don't mean good or bad necessarily. It's kind of up to you what you decide to do with these changes in these pivotal moments. Uh, but for Ryan, when he encountered a goose, he didn't realize it, but his piloting days and even his mountaineering days were going to be behind him from that moment forward but his full-time sailing days were ahead of him you're gonna have to listen to the episode to find out why Um, but before we jump into it i wanted to let you know that we are actually relaunching our patreon page today new and improved we've made a whole new set of tiers a whole new set of rewards um, and incentives for you to uh, Go and support us. You know, we've got everything from a couple bucks a month to all the way up to 20, 30 bucks a month. And all of those tiers have uh, different benefits to them. Biggest of all, ad free episodes. Yes, we have tiers now that have ad free episodes. So if you'd like to hear these episodes without any ads, without any extras, go to our Patreon page, support us on a monthly basis. And there is a tier that will allow every episode to be ad free. You know, for the folks that have been supporting the show, this is just a thank you. I know that I haven't been super active on Patreon, but that doesn't mean I don't appreciate the help. This is a very grassroots community, and every bit of support goes, honestly, a really long way to cover our bills. So if you'd like to support the Adventure Sports Podcast, go to our show notes. Uh, There's a link in there. And uh, you'll be able to uh, to sign up, and help us on a monthly basis. And for everyone that has been helping us for for years now, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Um, we're excited to see the growth of this show. It's growing every month, and uh, I can't wait to honestly continue it. So, all right, let's get into Ryan's story. It's uh, it's going to be a good one. So, buckle up. Ryan Ellison, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Exciting.
1: Yeah, I, I saw a, <laughs> I think I saw Stockholm, Sweden in your your profile on Skype, but I don't think you're coming from there today. I might be wrong. Where where are you coming
0: from? No, I'm I'm in Des Moines, Iowa. That's where we're recording this now and uh, uh that's my hometown. That's where I hail from, so not a lot of sailing here. <laughs> um but uh yeah, long roundabout story. I I grew up in Des Moines, uh, lived all over the US. And then uh, about 10 years ago, I moved to Stockholm for a job. And that's where I met my sailing partner and uh, girlfriend, Sophie. And we, about five years ago, decided to buy a boat and go sail the world. So yeah, it's a very short story of how an Iowa boy got on a sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, that's awesome.
1: Um, well, well, tell us, uh, you, you mentioned meeting Sophie. And Sophie has an interesting story about how meeting you, something about a ninja turtle costume. I don't know if that's a story you tell a lot <laughs> uh, or if it's something you want to tell.
0: Um, the whole story about us meeting in in the boat is uh, quite a classic story. I had met Sophie actually on Tinder uh, just a few months before we got the idea to to move or to, to do this boat journey. Uh, and she, we met on Tinder and the reason she clicked swiped right, I guess is the right way to go, uh, was cause I had a picture on there of me in a Ninja turtle costume that I had made with like women's, uh, tights and tight underwear. And, <laughs> uh, so it was a homemade Halloween costume, uh, that we had made. That's yeah, that's the story of why she swiped right. And yeah, so we, we met and, I mean, it's the Adventure Sports Podcast. So when we met, I was actually more into a a different area, which was mountain climbing, rock climbing, and polar exploration. So a few weeks after we met, I had booked a trip. I was going up to Greenland to do some polar survival training, just a couple of us off in the middle of nowhere, Greenland. And we built our relationship off of SMS over the Iridium inReach device, (laughs) Uh, texting each other while I was laying in a tent at night. And that's kind of how we, we met and started our relationship. And then uh, a few months later, I was back in Des Moines, actually, of all places, uh, training, uh, helping my, my family out with some medical things they were going through. And I was training for a marathon, and it was my last big run that I was doing. So I was out here in Des Moines training, and I came across a family of geese. So you might be wondering where this story is going and how it relates to sailing. <laughs> so many things going on. Right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, I came, I came across this family of geese and they were not happy that I was there. They had little babies. It was in the spring and one of them uh, got quite pissed, uh, flew at me. You know, these, these big Canadian geese are quite big. Uh, I'm trying to make the story sound much more dramatic than it was. But um, when this bird started flying at me, I turned, ran the other way. I slipped in the mud, put my arm out to catch me and ended up dislocating my shoulder, ripping the labrum and breaking the socket bone. So everything I had planned going on for the next couple of years was essentially uh, lost in that quick instance. Um, So I went to the emergency room. They set the arm back and then I had to fly back to Sweden where they uh, essentially reconstructed my arm and told me it was going to be another two years before I was going to. Be climbing again or, or doing anything, which for me was devastating. I was I had big Arctic dreams and I was supposed to be going to Nepal to climb, start my eight thousand meter mountain adventures, and um, it was all just taken away. So I sat there with my arm strapped to my chest for a few months while uh, the arm was healing, and came across an article one day about uh, a couple that. Had sold it all and bought a boat, and I was like, "Man, that's kind of a cool idea. that That sounds like something we could do." So I texted Sophie. We'd only been dating for a, a few months, and I was like, "Would you do this?" She's like, "Yeah, I'd do that." <laughs> so um, the arm healed. We took some sailing lessons, bought a boat, and off we went. That's pretty much how the story goes. <laughs>
1: Dude, that's I. I mean, just just a straight line makes perfect sense. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I gotta go back to the the goose what i mean i'm sure you've told this story a million times but having aspirations so big literally as big as eight thousand meter peaks how frustrating is it that a goose back home ruined all that for you goose does it doesn't even know that it happened to you it it it, it
0: didn't even i don't even think it touched me i was screaming so i mean anybody who's dislocated a, a joint knows how painful it is um I was screaming so loud. I think it just was like, okay, I've done my job. Um, it, it was pretty heart wrenching. I didn't really understand what had happened until I was in the emergency room, and the doctor looked at me. He's like, "Hey, um, you can't like you can't be climbing anymore, and you can't like because I, cause I had told him all this stuff I was doing. He's like, you got to knock it off because you until it gets fixed, it's just going to keep dislocating, and it's going to get worse and worse. And pretty soon, it's going to dislocate when you go to flip like a light switch off at night." you know, just like raising your arm, it's going to pop out. And he's like, you need to reevaluate what you're doing right now. And I was I like, I just broke out into tears in the emergency room. <laughs> uh, oh, it was pretty emotional. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was a bit gut wrenching, you know, but sometimes it takes, and I still have a lot of those goals, but sometimes it takes, you know, sometimes things happen and we all have it, things happen in our lives that change the course a bit. And it's changed me a lot as a person, I think, as we've, we've gone and Done this thing I never thought we'd do.
1: That just changed everything right there, that little moment. Yeah. Um, but look what has come about because of it. And, and can, I, can I ask this? How, how, is that, how is that shoulder doing? Was that doctor right?
0: Oh, the doctor was completely right. I actually was pretty fortunate. He had brought in his, I guess, mentor or the doctor he had learned from to work on my shoulder and another guy. So I actually had two of the best doctors in the Nordics working on my arm. So they they patched it up good. It, t- it did take a while to heal and like regain the motion uh, and rebuild all the strength. But uh, it was a good process. And, you know, during that time, we could focus on the new sailing adventure
1: <laughs> was sailing because sailing to me almost seems just as demanding as mountaineering, constant movement, constant, you know, the, the, there's so much to do, so much work, very labor intensive. How was that a better option?
0: I think it, it's, uh, it was a different option, I would say. Um, it's, when you're sitting on the boat day in, day out, for me, I actually get quite bored. Sophie has lots of things. She likes to listen to audiobooks and read and things, and I'm not really into that. So I don't have a lot to do. Uh, but you're right. Like, there's the motion of the boat. There's constant things going on. It takes a lot of energy just to do basic tasks. That you know, you and I might just take for granted. The, even like going to the toilet is it can be a, a monumental thing, especially if you're sick and the boat's slamming around and you're trying to hold on to stuff. And oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just like a, a a life necessity you have to do, but it can be so hard. And it can, you know, even for some that are really sick, it, it's like this daunting task that you're trying to avoid. So that part of it has been interesting. It's not as physically demanding on the other side, like, you know, rock climbing might be, whereas, you know, you're kind of doing, you're doing this exercise with your arms and your legs all day. It's just different. But the thing I tell people a lot of times is you, you get yourself into a situation where with a boat, when you, especially when you go offshore away from land for multiple days on end, that you are now in a situation that you can't get out of. So if the weather's bad, you just got to deal with it. And if it's hard going to the toilet for five days, you just got to deal with it. Whereas if if you're on the mountain or if you're doing a a big marathon or if you're doing a triathlon, those are activities generally that you could just stop and say, hey, this like sucks right now. I'm going to just take a break. I can collect my thoughts. But the sailing offshore, it just it doesn't stop. (laughs) So if you get into it, that can be this. No, and, and that can be a really big mental like a mental challenge for a lot of people. And I think that's why a lot of people get sick on boats because they, they start feeling the waves and the the motion and the, and being uncomfortable. And then they say to themselves, Oh man, like I've got to do this for six hours or 16 hours or six days. How am I going to do this? And then the body starts reacting, you know, to that. And yeah, I think, I think that the mental aspects of it is almost more difficult than a lot of the other sports that I've done.
1: We man, that's if if there was four or five things that the the adventurers say pretty often, and that that is one of them, and that is such a good lesson to to hear that even across this sport, it is it is mental, and so if you have that ability to 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 to, to just grind and get something done and learn something new, this is also a sport you can do or also a lifestyle you can achieve. When you and Sophie decided to do this, how far out was it from when you? Cause it was like some text messages from what I read and y'all just were like, Hey, let's what you kind of took the temperature. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. How far from then until you were actually out there and what, and what did that look like?
0: We, I, so I sent her that text message just after I had my shoulder surgery, which was, which maybe like three months after we met. And then obviously it took me a while to, to, I had to get my arm moving again. I mean, we couldn't go do sailing lessons until I could like was functional, but that, I was able to get on a boat maybe seven or eight months after I'd had my surgery. I wasn't hundred percent, but it was enough that I could, I could, um, I definitely wouldn't have wanted to have been on an 8,000 meter peak then, but for on a boat, it was okay. So we did our first sailing lessons in January of that, that next year. So maybe seven or eight months later, it still hadn't been a full year that we'd been dating. And we did two weeks of sailing lessons and we just did it with ourselves, just Sophie and I and an instructor because we wanted to see if we got along well on a boat and how we as a couple like interacted in, in that space. And then we also wanted it to be two weeks because we knew we would we wanted to maybe live on the boat and we wanted to see what that was like being on it longer than just maybe five days. So we did that. And then at the end of it, we're like, well, yeah, this this seems good. It seems like we could manage this. And I th- think we bought the that was in January of sixteen. And we bought the boat in April of 16. So just after a year after of us uh, meeting, essentially. And then we spent two years with the boat in Stockholm, kind of getting to know the boat, getting to know how to sail, because two weeks sailing lesson actually isn't that much <laughs> time that, on a boat. We learned that right. very quickly. Well, so we were I learning gonna a ask, lot. was going to ask, like,
1: but... was it just, could you get a lot? I'm like, is it one thing that was daunting and then you really learned a lot and like, okay, I grasped this? Or is it? really as complex as it seems
0: (laughs) you know i so i i was on a bit of an advantage because my college why i went to college was for commercial aviation so i got all my pilot certificates in school and that helped a lot going into sailing um and yeah i mean what we always said in aviation was you don't really learn how to fly until you start teaching people or until you're off on your own and we Sophie and I experienced that firsthand on the boat. So we got out of sail classes and it was like, yeah, we know what we're doing. And then we got the boat ourselves and we're like, we have no idea what we're doing, (laughs) especially (laughs) on our own boat. Uh, so yeah, we spent about two years learning and then in, let's see, that would have been 16, 17 and 18 in the spring of 2018, we left Stockholm. Uh, off on our adventure and the original plan was just to do an atlantic circuit to sort of go from europe down the caribbean and then back in one year and we just decided along the way like let's just keep going let's see if we can make this a lifestyle and, and do something with this so we've been on the boat for three years and we've told ourselves that we will keep doing this as long as we enjoy doing it and we have the money to do it so that's our plan
1: that is awesome the original plan go to the caribbean and, and back When you were out and heading towards the Atlantic, what did that feel like? Because to me, that just seems like you're just going out to space, you know, (laughs) you're just out there. And we I know we talked about being stuck during storms, but what was that sensation of knowing we're we're heading across one of the largest bodies of water in the world?
0: Well, so as I said in the beginning of the, the podcast, I had been when I first met Surfer, I had been in the outback of Greenland, which is also very remote. Part of the world. So personally, I had some experience with uh, that type of an environment. But mentally, I don't think I had really thought about the fact that we were like, when we're in the center of the Atlantic, even though there's other ships out there and there are networks available to help if you need that, you're really in some of the most isolated places on the planet. And the first time we crossed the Atlantic, uh, we've done it twice now. Uh, we just did it, Sophie and I, because that was kind of my dream, as I wanted to to do it shorthanded, they call it, so it was just Sophie and I on the boat, and that was pretty eye-opening and pretty stressful for me mentally, because I was just like, man, we are in the middle of nowhere, and you look on the chart with your little boat there in the center of nowhere, and you're like, all right, all the preparations that you made, all the learning that you made along the way, like, Yeah, I hope it all comes through for us (laughs) because there's nobody out here to help us right now. Um, And we learned a lot on that first passage. I mean, we had some stuff break. We found ways to deal with it. Uh, It was really tiring. It was exhausting. It pushed us both individually, but also as a couple uh, to work through things. And we made it. And I think we were pretty happy that we made it. Um, once, Once we got there and it was a good exercise, this second time that we've crossed Weather wise was a little bit challenging. We went from Bonair all the way to the Azores, so back from west to east. And we brought a crew member on for that trip. And that that changed the dynamics a lot. We're still off in the middle of nowhere. I as a captain have a little bit more responsibility because now I have this like third party, this person that's I'm not really related to that's on the boat that you have to take care of. And but it, it also relieves some stress because you have some extra hands and things. So Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an experience being out in the middle of nowhere (laughs) and just relying on yourself to live and survive.
1: What did that do for y'all as a as a couple? I know I know this was almost kind of from the beginning of your of your relationship, but just knowing you had to rely on each other, you had to work together. I mean, was that was that more challenging than you thought or did did y'all just work pretty well in that way?
0: uh it was it's definitely been more challenging than we thought and to be to be honest to ourselves we never considered that aspect of the trip so kind of now we've gone with this mantra that for people who want to go out and do a project like this you got to take care of three things and the first is you got to know what you're doing like you need to know your boat you need to know the systems of your boat you need to figure out how you know that that piece of it the second piece is the financial piece how do you like pay for it all and survive. And then the third piece, which most people don't focus on is the relationship and the mental aspects of it. And we hadn't considered that at all. So we, I mean, even to this day, we still sometimes have a really hard time. We're in, we live in a very small space. We don't have our own personal space. Um, We work on the boat, we sail on the boat, we live on the boat and uh, (laughs) anybody, well, I mean, we've all gone through COVID now. I think a lot of people are getting more used to this idea or more, I think more understanding of the idea of living in small spaces and what that can do to a relationship. So that part of it was, was really challenging. But then for me personally, I discovered that I've got a lot of anxiety with, with certain things um, related to like control and how do you control situations? And I learned personally a lot about myself on this project and the the mental aspects of it. I know that's very vague at the moment, but <laughs> um, right.
1: No, yeah. no. I mean, it seems like a huge anxiety inducing <laughs> experiment. If you want me to be honest, <laughs> throw yourself out in the middle of the ocean and in, in exposure therapy at the least.
0: I think I think one one of the things I realized I got I was really you see a lot of sailors out there, and ninety eight percent of them are male on a boat. And there's like this very macho attitude. It was like this, most of sports or even the jobs that I did flying, you know, it's a lot of, it's type A male dominated areas where we, you have an expectation to perform because you have to. So I flew in the military. You have this expectation to perform because your life depends on it. You're on the top of a big mountain. You have this expectation to perform and not screw up because your life or your partner's life might depend on it. And then in sailing, you have that same expectation, maybe for other reasons. And so there's all this like pressure on me that was self-induced. But I think it was more of like a systemic problem, like an image problem in in the sailing industry of like, well, you have to do this and nobody else screws up. But what I learned throughout the last five years is that all the guys that I've talked to have felt the same pressure and the same, like, I'm really scared to go out and do this. Or I hate going into marinas. It's so stressful because I'm afraid I'm going to crash into something. And everybody's got this fear, but nobody wants to talk about it. It's it's like the weirdest thing. And, and, and then when I started, like, I started doing a lot of self reflection on like, why is nobody talking about this? Like, I'm stressed about this. And then I Sophie challenged me on a lot of this and I started going back in a lot of my, my mountain climbing and then a lot of my flying and doing some self-reflection on that. And I was like, we did the same stuff in, you know, in the flying world. I, I was 21 years old teaching other people how to fly planes and it was scary sometimes. And we like my friends and I, we never talked about it. Like, why was that? it's like some macho thing, but they were all scared too. I found out, you know, 20 years later when I'm talking to people about it. (laughs) So that's been like a really eye-opening piece of like this whole sailing project that we've done is, is that part of it.
1: That's wonderful to hear in a lot of ways, just, just the opening up that, I mean, that applies everywhere. I was just talking to some people at work, some of my higher ups and they were like, Hey, we're all just winging it. I hope you know that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It sure doesn't seem like that on the outside. I feel like I'm the only one that doesn't know what I'm doing. Exactly, know what I'm doing. It's so not true.
0: No, it's not. The first year we had the boat, the first season, we um, uh, we were taking. It was the very last sail. We were taking the boat over to a marina so that they could haul it out for the winter and store the boat. And it was really, really windy that day. Like, these were winds that Sophia and I had never, ever been in. And I was a bit stressed about it. And we got, we did fine getting out and getting going. And we got to this marina. And the first try, time we tried to get in the slip, it just didn't work. So we backed out and tried it again. And in the process, we, the boat got pushed up against some uh, small boats with their like outboard engines up. So the propellers were sticking out. And it, it ended up like all those boats were fine, but our boat got like the the paint on the side of the boat got all messed up. We had big swirl marks from the propeller all the way down the side of the boat. And, you know, we got it docked eventually. And I was just like, I felt like such a failure with it. It's like, Oh, you know, I can't even like manage this boat and we're going to go live on it and sail around the world with it. We got home and I was just so down and depressed about it. And, you know, how are we going to get this fixed? It's going to be so expensive. And I called some sailing friends of ours and they were, I was telling them about this and they're like, there was a big super yacht next to us the other day with professional captains on it. And they did the same thing. The exact same thing except the boat was stuck against these propellers for like an hour and it put like a hole in the side of the boat so you know after hearing that I was like all right if a professional captain can do that I guess I can give myself a little space <laughs> as well. Right. So.
1: Absolutely Yeah. there's always a failure bigger than you. Is what you can yeah say.
0: exactly <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No that's
1: not a great way to frame it but well, well, well tell us this you know despite despite that stress, despite that fear and that anxiety that, that this lifestyle or pursuing anything outside the box can, can, can induce, can you share a story or tell us why it's still worth it to you to get out there and go? Is there any sort of way you can illustrate that for us?
0: I think for us, uh, absolutely. It's, it's a hard life. It's not for everybody. Um, there's, I'll give you the bad stuff first. There's definitely times, you know, you just want to sleep and it's three in the morning and you're on anchor and you're up in the rain in your underwear because something's wrong on the boat or the boat's dragging the anchor or something or somebody's hit you and you just want to sleep like those days suck. But what what this trip and what this project has done is really opened our eyes to the rest of the world We were already a bit international. Sophie and I had moved countries for jobs and traveled a lot around the world for work. Uh, But we've been able to explore the planet, meet people and cultures from everywhere. And it's been amazing. That part of it has been absolutely amazing. And the people that we have met along the way on other boats or on islands or different countries that we visited has just been like... It's super cool. And it's something that you won't experience if you say, oh, we're going to go to Portugal and we're just going to take a plane and stay there for a week. You will not experience a culture or a place like you do when you have to sail there. And then you've got to sort out logistics in terms of clearing in with customs and getting packages sent in and figuring out where the laundromat is and trying to find a dentist in the middle of the night. Like you just aren't going to experience that if you fly somewhere for a week, you know. Uh, and that's, I think, the piece that keeps us going.
1: Tell us a story about something that made you realize that you've made the right decision in this lifestyle and, and where you're going. Is there something you can illustrate that could just take us along for the ride? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
0: Oh man, that puts me on the spot. I'll say that I'll be I'll be honest in saying that there are plenty of days uh, I call them "sell the boat" days. Um, there are plenty of days that I don't want to do this project, and it's so funny because when I talk to other people about it, we all have these same days. So uh, you know, you see somebody having a bad day. I say, "How many times did you sell the boat today?" And they're like, oh, "I don't know, like three. <laughs> um, but a story, a story oh. that uh, well, one of my favorite stories, and this does this is actually. A little bit away from what I was just describing, but we were, Sophie and I were off the coast of Portugal one night sailing south, head into the Mediterranean. Uh, This is right when we started the project and it was probably three in the morning. We were sailing, Sophie was sleeping and I was just, I think we were motoring because the sea was quite flat. And um, I was looking off the side of the boat and I was like, what is that in the water? Like it was super, super weird. It was a really dark night Uh, And it it looked like there was like snakes, like going super fast, like jetting through the water, like something in a horror movie, you know, like going underneath our boat. And it was making the water light up. And I was just like, what is that? And I kept staring and staring and staring. And eventually I realized it was, um, there was a lot of bioluminescence in the water. So, you know, as the water gets agitated, it kicks up this like kind of green glow like you would see in like the movie Avatar. So this green like bioluminescence is kicking up and what it was was dolphins and they were swimming Mm. underneath the boat like there's probably 30 or 40 of them, you know, creating these big patterns. And then that was going on. And then all of a sudden I looked on the bow of the boat and there was hundreds or thousands of like fish jumping. So they were hunting and we were kicking up this. We must have been going through a big school of fish and it was kicking off the fish off the bow and then the dolphins were using the bow to hunt. But in the process, it was making this spectacular light show for us. Uh, So I woke Sophie up three in the morning. Sophie, you got to see this. You got to see this. She comes up like half awake. And well, she was, I don't know if I was more impressed than she was. She went back to bed after about 10 minutes. But it was just, I sat there. I thought it was going to last for 10 or 15 minutes. It ended up lasting for hours. Just sit there to watch that. And that's not something that most people, I think, get to see in their lives is an event like that. Um, and it's those types of things that that keep us going, I'd say.
1: I don't think most people would even not only get to experience that, but know that exists. Know that type well, of phenomenon. It, and they're like, Oh yeah, I've heard of bioluminescence and now maybe I've seen a little bit here and there, but like that dolphin swimming through looking like illuminated torpedoes, fish jumping off. Yeah. That sounds otherworldly when you describe it. That sounds incredible.
0: Yeah, it was like, like I said, it's kind of like an Avatar movie. And I like exactly like you say, I didn't even understand that that type of thing could could happen. Um, so, yeah, that was that was super cool. And I'd say the second just bit is it's not a story, but we meet so many incredible people that have so many stories on boats. It's it's like one of the few places in the world where you can you can be with a group of people and on a boat anchored next to a boat of a guy that has no money at all and he's just wants to he just wants to be on a boat because it's the thing that makes him the most happy in the world and he's just struggling to get by and you know he paints houses on the islands he's at and that's the only way he gets money and but he's you know the coolest person in the world and then on the other side of your boat anchored might be a multi-million dollar yacht with people that might even be from your same city that you would have never met because they're just in a different class of people, but you're sitting next to them and then you meet them and they're super cool too. And you all get to enjoy the same sunsets and the same experiences and kind of be as, as one. And that was something I was not prepared for either, was just this like kind of coming together of people from different, all different aspects of life. Uh, which which is also, I think really, really unique in that in that business.
1: That is really cool. What, what would you say you've learned from, from the mindset you you had setting out, maybe some practical things you've learned about about taking on big challenges or big adventures, um, kind of being in the middle of it now?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I, for me personally, my biggest, my biggest thing that I've come away from with this is just working on myself mentally, but that's just been my personal big, big challenge and how to I always took care of myself physically. Cause I had to, because that was the type of sports I was into. Uh, but the mental a- aspects of it, it kind of ignored a lot of times. Uh, so that's, that's, I think that's the first piece. And the second piece, the, the other big takeaway is I live by this, I think I developed this in my mountain climbing days because it was so important was this kind of karma, uh, philosophy. So it's the, you know, it's like what your mom used to say, you know, do, do onto others as you'd like to be done to yourself. And in the climbing world that really had a, a strong meaning to me because, you know, sometimes you just need other people's help. But in the sailing world, that, meaning means even more because there are just times that you need other people around you to help. And that could be like you're having a bad day and you just need help or it could be because you need to fix an engine and you have no idea what you're doing and you're on an island that has like no people around (laughs) and there's nobody to call to come fix your engine. Um, Or it could be because, you know, you've broken down in the middle of water and you need someone to come save your life. Uh, These are all things like... So we try to live our lives now, where it's like we, whenever we have an opportunity, we try to help as much as we can because we know someday we're going to need some help, uh, and that's big uh, been a big experience for us.
1: It, it, man, I, I know we haven't talked a lot about specifics of living on a boat and what it was like, and like the equipment and all that. But it sounds to me like to to do these kinds of things and to live this kind of lifestyle, it, it is so much more about mindset, like we were saying earlier than it is about knowing what you need to know. Like that comes in time. It's almost like you need to decide and just start planning and start taking some classes and making it happen. That, that sounds like that's what it is. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we know people that have done it every way. So people with no money, lots of money, people with no experience, they just buy a boat and go. And there's other people that will train for years before they feel ready to to go out and try a project like this. And yeah, I think how you, how you described it is exactly right. It's just the mental mindset. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have good days. That's just part of it. Um, but if you understand that going into it. It's, it can be really fun. Will we do this forever? Probably not. We know people have lived their whole lives on boats. I don't know if I want to do that. There's other things in this world I want to see, but right now it's, it's amazing.
1: What is next for you in the world of sailing?
0: So this year, we, we've we struggled because of COVID. And where do we go with all the COVID restrictions? This year, we've really wanted to go to the US with our boat. But we've uh, Sophie has had some visa uh, challenges with the United States. So we've had to stay away for now. But we think we have that sorted. So this year, what we decided to do instead of just sitting in the Caribbean and waiting, um, we decided to get a bunch of miles under our belt. So that Atlantic circuit that I talked about doing when we first had this sailing idea, we are actually doing this year. So we're going to do the whole Atlantic go all the way around it in one year. So, uh, in May, we left Bonaire, which is, uh, in the South part of the Caribbean, just North of Venezuela. We sailed up to Bermuda, spent a few weeks there, and then sailed over to the Azores, which is part of Portugal, about 800 miles to the West of the mainland of Europe. Um, and that's where the boat currently is. Um, And Sophie and I are taking a bit of a boat break right now, so she's in Paris, I'm here. And then in the fall and winter, we'll continue the trip around, so we'll sail from uh, the Azores down to Madeira, and then over to Canaries, and then back across the Atlantic again to the Caribbean, spend a little bit of time in the spring there, in the Bahamas, and then hopefully she'll have the green light to go to the U.S., and we'll get to spend some time sailing up the east coast of the U.S. So that's our plan right now.
1: So cool. And now, do you, I saw you? You you have allowed people on the boat before. Do you do you still do that?
0: Yeah, we we do take people on the boat. We take crew from time to time. We I will say we're pretty selective about our crew that we take on, uh, and primarily that's just because when you start sailing, you will understand that you have your own ways of doing things. Sophie and I are really safety conscious, so crew that come on board need to have that same mindset. Um, and it's also our home, so you can imagine inviting somebody into your home that moves and travels around the planet it needs to fit Uh, our last crew member was on board for this is a little extreme but a little over two well no not quite two months (laughs) because it was a long trip uh so she was there a long time but we got along well uh but obviously you can see if you have a crew member on that you don't that you know it doesn't work well with it can be very hard just because the space is tight. So yeah, we do take crew. We usually have a few Skype calls before we decide if we'll take somebody and, you know, see if it's a good fit and then we'll, we'll take them along. I I know people
1: are out there wanting to try this and may, maybe they just want to test the lifestyle out and being on with a couple of experts like yourself just might be an easy way to just see what this is like and um, get a feel for it. Cause you said, yeah, you're inviting people into your home and it's not like it's a big McMansion, you know, it's a... It's essentially an RV on the water. It's not huge quarters to to move around in. So the compatibility needs to be there for sure.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. We're I mean, there's not not a lot of room for bags and stuff. So we we typically limit the boat to three people total. So that's Sophie and I plus one. And then if there's a couple, sometimes we'll take four because they can sleep in the same berth together. But yeah, so, but then it gets really tight. So (laughs) kind of balance things. Yeah.
1: You know, I, lo- I love your aspect of, uh, of the mental health side of things. I don't feel like that gets talked about enough and um, at least just mentioned enough. Like, hey, we're all dealing with it. It's the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. But I did want to ask uh, one of my favorite questions is, what what is the biggest misconception about living on the boat or that you hear from people maybe that are watching your videos, love your lifestyle? Um, what do you think they don't understand about what you're going through?
0: So I could... Two things pop to my mind right when you say that. And the first is that we are on, well, let me start with this one. The first one is that Sophie and I are really rich or we're trust fund.
1: (laughs) That's common. Yeah.
0: And yeah, and that is definitely not true. And I would say that that's not true for 97% of the young, younger crowd that we know on boats. Uh, Most of the people have decided they made a life decision to, to change their lives and, and be a bit different. And that comes with a lot of financial sacrifice. Uh, I was just on the phone with Sophie before, you, before we connected, you know, talking about how we're going to make the finances work for next month. And so, yeah, I mean, it, we get stretched and we have to sacrifice a lot to do this. So I think that's the first big misconception among outsiders. And then the second one is that we are on vacation all the time and and so while it is really nice we get to anchor in really great places and we can sit in the sun whenever we want uh, because of the the first piece the financial piece Sophie and I both still work remotely while we're on the boat so we spend just as much time as anybody else working plus we have to take care of the boat and then you know occasionally we'll take a day or two to ourselves to go experience the places that we are to go diving or driving around an island uh, so it's not twenty four seven vacation, uh, and that's something it takes people a while to understand. I'd say so. I think those for me are the two big misconceptions that we run into.
1: Very interesting, and I can absolutely see that. I can absolutely see people just 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 thinking that way and thinking, oh, they've got the life, nothing to worry about out on a boat free as a yeah. bird riches can be <laughs> saving all this money i'm sure you know which i know you're not boats are incredibly expensive
0: well yeah i always tell people i always tell people you know i i just like after a long ocean crossing the only thing i want is a bed that doesn't move a shower that i can run non-stop and take like a 30 minute shower and a toilet that flushes those are like the only things i want after a long <laughs> long ocean crossing uh because oh it just gets really old you know I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, well. Here, we'll wrap
1: up with this. What, what is you say? That's the one thing you miss. Um, any sort of food you miss, or any sort of consumable you miss while you're out there?
0: If there's people listening that really want to do something like this, I'd say, I'd say the best thing is find a French, uh, a French woman to do, or a French man to do the project with, because uh, Sophie's French and uh, she's an amazing cook. So we never have a a shortage of excellent food on board, even underway so she will sometimes and even in the biggest seas disappear downstairs and be making fresh bacon bread or eggs Benedict from scratch. Um, We've we ended a full Thanksgiving meal from scratch uh, underway a couple years ago uh, in the middle of the Atlantic so that would be that would be the thing. So no I don't miss the food because we have plenty of good food on the boat.
1: <laughs> so I'm sure that makes after the longest hardest day that makes it a little bit better. For sure. It's quite nice. Awesome. Well, anything else, Ryan, you'd like to tell listeners about the lifestyle or what y'all do or or, or where to find you? I'm going to plug all your links in the beginning of the show too. You can feel free to share it here too, but just want to give you a last chance to share anything.
0: No, I just think if people, you know, it doesn't have to be sailing, but if people want to get out there and, and do things, and that could be, you know, running a 5k or running across the U.S. or getting in a boat and sailing around the world, you know you can't wait to forever to do it. So just get out there and do it. I think it's, and, and we're all scared when we go out to do it too. So don't feel alone with that. <laughs> it's scary to change your life and change your habits. Uh, but it's, I think the rewards are worth it in the end. So
1: that's, it's true for, if it's true for you, it's going to be true for all of us. It's, Absolutely. it's scary. It's going to be scary, but yeah. that's worth it. But, um, all right, man, we'll have a great day in Des Moines and, uh, yeah, we'll talk soon.
0: Thanks. Thanks so much. All yeah. Right. Have a good one yourself.